listening and watching Rashkin Report, and my name is Yuri Rashkin. Welcome, thank you for watching. My guest today is a writer, a professor of, at Concordia University of Montreal, Canada, an author of a recent book, uh, Notes from Cyberground, Trumpland and My Old Soviet Feeling. Mikhail Yosef, Mikhail, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Yuri. Good to be back. Let's begin with our outgoing president who has been in power for uh, a long time, it seems, even though it's not even been a full term yet. And uh, he has done so much that I understand right now he is exploring the possibility of what it takes to get an airport named after him. Um, that is, uh, you know, the world that Donald Trump lives in. How do you view where we are right now with uh, just, you know, a few weeks left um, are you daring to look forward? Are you cautious? Um, and how do you look at the last four years? How do you see that? Um, well, for, for a small donation, uh, mayor of some small provincial town in Russia will name airport after him, probably. And <laughs> for like maybe a couple hundred dollars. <laughs> or a couple hundred thousand dollars. But um, can you imagine flying out of that airport named Trump to airport? It's just a major jinx. Whoever would want to do that? It's uh, everything. Everything he's ever launched always came down. <laughs> so no, I think it's it's not a good idea. Not a good idea to name an airport after him. Um, it's just not safe. Um, but um, I think. It's been exhausting, right? That's why it feels like much longer than just three years and, you know, change. Uh, because uh, like almost four years. Because he's been in our face every single day, multiple times per day. He's been shouting, he's been yelling, he's been throwing tantrums. He's been basically anything, anything to... Uh, remain in the center of our mindset just constantly just just this endless black vortex of attention need and um and it's and it's been exhausting and uh, we are i think majority of americans are just starved for a sense of normalcy for somebody who doesn't yell who doesn't behave like a spoiled teenager like like a bully like who just basically denigrates the office of the presidency every single minute this uh, of, 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 of every day. Um, this Trump stain, it's literally a stain. It, it just, it's just a smear. It, it will have to be like almost rubbed out of the carpet in the Oval Office. It's just repugnant. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it, it'll be remembered like a bad dream. We will, we will not be able to come to terms, I think, with the very fact that a person like that was a president. Like literally a person with zero redeeming qualities. Like all around, like repugnant person. But is, um, is this, uh, so is Joe Biden's victory a vindication of moral and ethical values? I think people, just the majority, large majority of Americans just wanted to get rid of Trump. You've noticed, of course, that although uh, Trump was fired by 7 million over like uh, uh, 
votes over Trump. Um, but uh, the down ballots were not a victory for Democrats, to put it mildly. They failed to uh, retake the Senate. Instead of expanding their majority in the House, they actually lost at least 10 seats in the House. So people, whatever message people wanted to say, overriding one was that people wanted to get rid of Trump. They just wanted to, for him to be gone. Is this like wanting to change the channel? Is, or, or turn off uh, an off-putting channel or just something is just something that we've been forced to watch and it's been disgusting. Are you concerned about what Trump can do in the time that he has left before January 20th? How concerned are you? Like everyone, probably very concerned because he's unpredictable to the extent of being unpredictable to himself. That's the worst part of it. Um, there, there are no, probably no scenario, there are no scenarios whereby Joe Biden wouldn't be uh, sworn in on, um, in a month from today. Uh, but, uh, uh, but there are plenty of scenarios where, you know, um, he'll do something breathtakingly stupid, issue an order that will not be, you know, followed, but nonetheless, you know, the very fact that the president of the United States is discussing in the Oval Office with a bunch of criminal crackpots, um, the uh, possibility of a military coup in the United States of America, not some, you know, um, military dictatorship down somewhere in the third world. It's just a stunning thought in and of itself. First off, it's grounds for immediate removal from office. But Republican majority in the Senate is just way too cowardly for that. Uh, but and they still try to normalize that. And actually, it was kind of amazing that this was not front page news or not above the fold news in New York Times or Washington Post. Um, it was like item eight, a eight or something in, in, in New York Times. But it's a stunning thought that he would send military to seize the, the, the voting machines. Um, and all of that was shut down by his uh, senior uh, staff members. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it necessitates sort of like immediately clarifications from top military saying that the military take an oath to the constitution, but not to whatever. And so it's just, yeah, I, uh, the scary part of it is that he doesn't know himself what he can, uh, um, what he what he might be able, what he might do, um, I don't know. Uh, but what do you think what, is the what do you think is like the worst part of what Trump has done? Is there something specific? Is there something that is there's a general feeling? I mean, you're you're a writer, so I would accept an answer on any level. Um, debased, but, debased the office of the presidency in the eyes of uh, the American people. Um, I think drastically, criminally, and probably irredeemably. Um, um, the very, like I said, the very fact that that that, an, that a man like this was actually president, because there are uh, ugly people uh, like moral degenerates uh, running for president before, but none of them made it to the 
White House. And even some like open racists like George Wallace, who later, after you know being paralyzed, uh, recanted and apologized to the African American community for having been an open racist his whole life. Even he seems to be this. This guy seems to be completely um, out of it. Uh, he just doesn't understand anything. He doesn't know anything. He hasn't read the Constitution. He doesn't know what president can and cannot do. He doesn't understand that uh, that uh, Americans' loyalty lies not to the president but to the Constitution and to the idea of uh, America. He just doesn't understand anything. He's completely incognizant, and he's also, you know, being the president yet at the same time positioning himself as a victim and awakening the sense of victimhood in tens of millions of Americans. Um, it's it's you know it's 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 a rebellion of the so-called quote-unquote little man. It's a very fascist kind of thing. It's just a very famous book of my childhood, and it was a very popular German writer who was translated in the Soviet Union. Was Hans Fallada. His most famous novel was "Что же дальше маленький человек" in Russian. What's next, little man? It was about basically precisely that. It just the, the, you know how one becomes member of the of the fascist or Nazi movement in Germany, because one is, feels completely overlooked, forgotten, um, insignificant. And this is something that gives them a sense of, uh, you know, of rage and purpose somehow. And, and, and so that's, uh, that's what he reawakened. That's nothing new, really. What's new is the degree to which he, um, uh, he humiliated uh, the White House uh, and humiliated the office. And uh, basically, we've never had, the United States has never had a president whose fealty to, let's say, Russia was greater than that to America. But that's the case with Trump. And his sense of fealty is to, um, to whoever offers him money and whoever praises him. Uh, just think about it. He relentlessly praised Putin, but he always, uh, you know, uh, vilified John McCain. You know, he always vilified John McCain and any number of American patriots, but he praised to the skies uh, Kim Jong-un. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, we basically have lost all system of moral coordinates under this guy. That's what, that's the most, that's the scariest part of it. And it's what, that is, I think is irretrievable because now, okay, there is a, there is a, Joe Biden is coming into your office and he'll restore some norms. And I don't know, what is he going to do with the rest of the world? Apologize. How long is it going to take and can Biden do it? That's kind of my next well, question. Biden, Biden can do part of it, but it will take generations. Really? Because, because the process that are taking part, uh, taking place in the United States right now are generational process. The split between urban and rural. No, but I'm, I'm sorry, Mikhail. I, I was thinking there's uh, the standing of the United States in the world has taken a nosedive under President Trump. So uh, under different president, does it mean that it's going to go sky high or, or are you anticipating like a slow recovery because people just don't trust, uh, have lost some trust? Well, uh, the rest of the world will get over the fact that America had uh, America basically uh, took a nosedive in its morals, which is that uh, 
it happens. It's it's your American basically internal affair. You wanted to have a degenerate in the office. You would just, it was a reaction to the first black president in America. So racist America has decided to reassert itself. We kind of, we can't quite understand it, but it's your business. It's your American affair. Um, uh, that will, you know, the rest of the world, the, the, the rest of the West will politely, you know, pretend that, okay, it happens. Um, but, uh, uh, but 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 what but but the the harm that's been caused the the American mind and the American psyche that's something that will linger for a very long time I think because nothing has been quite resolved really um, so Trump electorate will stay in place and it will be looking for another uh, cult-like figure to attach itself to. Uh, in its rebellion against uh, the coasts and its rebellion against uh, the liberals, against the educated ones, against uh, Muslims, against uh, blacks, against Jews, against any number of people who are not like me. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's the nature of process taking place in the United States and around the world, as a matter of fact, and globalization and automatization, loss of jobs, lots of loss of self-respect, lots of lots. And also fear but on everyday level, would you, Mikhail Yosil, feel less safe going to the United States? Well, I'm a US citizen. And so uh, you, you teach, you work in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, I wouldn't. But uh, but then again, I don't. Um, uh, you, you know, I, I I vote in New York State. Uh, my family uh, relatives are in San Francisco. Uh, I have friends all over America, but I don't have many friends in really rural America. That would be kind of interesting. But I don't know. You know, uh, many years ago, fifty years ago knowing that he was sort of like uh, fatally ill, uh, uh, John Steinbeck wrote a book, took a trip, was especially custom made kind of van, uh, travels with Charlie in America, Charlie being his, his dog Poodle, mm -hmm. uh, King's Poodle. And so uh, several things. First off, people recognized him then. He drove uh, through the, mainly through the rural America. From New York, he drove through, uh, uh, from California, he drove to New York, but mainly through rural areas for several months. First, people recognized him because he was on the cover of Time magazine and he was a Nobel Prize winner. And I don't think there is a writer actually right now in the United States whose face would be recognizable to most Americans and hasn't been for a while. Um, uh, and, but secondly, how, and it was actually- I mean, Stephen you know, King. No, I don't think so. Really? I think Stephen King would be recognizable to most people. Maybe, yeah. yeah All right, of, but nonetheless. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah, yeah. And he's a slightly, yeah, yeah, maybe. But he's a slightly different kind of writer than Steinbeck. But anyways, and so, um, and secondly, how um, they were talking about politics with random people and uh, Steinbeck and so forth, but how peaceful, how void of anger and rancor those conversations were, basically even though that split between rural and urban America existed even then. But it would be a very instructive book to reread right now. It was a popular book in the Soviet Union, actually. 
So um, until Steinbeck wrote about the Green Berets, and then since then he was banned from the Soviet Union. So, so the the updated version of uh, Tuckerville or Tuckerville uh, across America or whatever that was. American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but no, but it's a, actually it's a very engaging kind of you know just uh, aging uh, old writer and his dog in a custom made van. They just drive all across the United States, mainly in side roads and just back roads, and just and stay and they just drink with local people basically see that They're, sounds pretty safe that sounds like fun yeah i don't i don't know if, if it could be that was 1961 or 62 uh i don't know if this could be done now that's my point i think that the split is very 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 i understand that you know that uh that rural areas are not just rural areas necessarily i you know i lived in minnesota for two years although then i lived in minneapolis and so forth but but i think that that's what happened over the four years of uh, I've noticed that even in my own interactions with people basically and in my own uh, practice you know I what I write I don't necessarily post on Facebook my writing writing but uh, but but I, I post about on politics and so forth how much more rancorous it has become I've noticed it's, it's it was similar to you know uh, how uh, it's poison that's entered American bloodstream in the same way as, as, as just, you know, I, I thought by association uh, when, you know, I was running literary programs in, in, in St. Petersburg, Russia, many years ago, 1998 to 2008, how in early 2000s, I noticed when this happened, when even friends of mine suddenly started saying things that Putin was saying on television, and that is that the West doesn't respect us anymore and so forth. Poison was being injected in the Russian vein. And, uh, and, and this is what happened here now. Poison has been injected in the American vein. And it basically, uh, it uh, created the degree of rancor that I don't know what it will take to, uh, to heal uh, or to, for it to abate. I don't, I don't know because it's- Well, I'm counting on education. Yeah. If, but uh, but that's kind of realistically speaking, most Americans don't go to university, and it would be unrealistic to count on people to you know to go to university and and maybe you are counting on education, but you also know that there is a great degree of uh, of disparity in America and there is dire poverty in America and in rural America in particular, and there are areas where if you told a person, let's say from Russia or some other place that there are areas in the United States where people actually starve, where there is no electricity, there is no you know, indoor plumbing. There are areas like this, large areas in, the, in, the, in today's United States and uh, people wouldn't believe it, but that's what it is. And there are people, you know, in rural America, there's, there's, there is an opioid epidemic so what, what is the where do you find hope? Uh, before we before we continue with the conversation on the topic of poison that you brought up, where do you find hope in all of this? Um, only in in the fact that people sooner or later get tired of of uh, exercising themselves um, uh, in the in the direction of the worst angels of their nation. People, people get tired of being worse than they are. And people get tired of thinking of themselves as being worse than they are, because that's what 
Putin is telling Russians, and that's what Trump has been essentially telling Americans for the four years, that they are basically worse than they are, that they are free, that, what, what they, that there is no shame in being worse than you are. And uh, I, I only believe that people, I only hope that, that people do not get uh, sort of like stuck in one point on the axis of their existential coordinates that they sh keep shifting between their better and worse selves, depending on many factors. And now we've gone through the lowest period through, through the most drastic shift in the direction of, uh, of the worst uh, sides of human nature in America. So I, I don't know that the, one necessarily has to have hope. One just uh, has to have hope in the passage of time and in life in general. Um, but uh, Joe Biden definitely by nature, by inclination, by sort of like by his uh, predisposition, he is the moral healer, he is the uniter. So he will try to do that. And he will be able to bring on board uh, a large number of Americans, but I don't think he will bring in, uh, on board uh, a majority of members of the Republican party in the Senate, for instance, who are invested in uh, continuing rancor and continued, uh, you know, uh, push towards bigotry um, because you know that's their that's their that's the only way they can cling to power. Um, so I don't know, I don't know. We'll see. All right, we'll see. Mikhail. Then to uh, go on that topic of poison you mentioned a minute ago, which would have been a great uh, transition, but I'll just hang on to that and, and pull it in now. Um, Alexei Navalny, uh, who is basically the only politician left in Russia, and now he's not even in Russia anymore, he's now in Germany, where he was moved after he was poisoned, and uh, luckily for him, uh, the plane landed early, and the ambulance medics had the antidote that would be given in really general in that set of circumstances, and that apparently is what saved his life. Um, and he first released a video that's been seen now 17 million times. Uh, it's it's not a you know K-pop, but it's pretty good. Um, where he describes everything that happened with the breathtaking detail, and we saw all of this because CNN and uh, other news agencies, news media, have been part of this investigation and followed it and put together their own materials as well on top of this. But just this morning, Navalny released another video where he basically called one of his supposed to be assassins and somewhere between interviewed and interrogated him uh, pretending to be somebody else so he prank called him and this person just revealed all of this information um, how are you viewing uh, all of this uh, unfolding set of events uh, from where you are in uh, beautiful Montreal Canada well <laughs> um, it's um... You know, it's 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 a common misconception uh, to think that, uh, and it's a carryover from the old Soviet times and from Le Carre novels and from uh, Rest in Peace, John Le Carre, and and from uh, numerous. You know, I've been watching recently, for instance, this French Le Bureau, Le Bureau, uh, where you know this FSB is 
prominently featured and so forth as some kind of a ruthlessly, ruthlessly efficient organization. It's not, it has never been, KGB has not been, uh, despite the popular belief to the country, but it has never lived up to that reputation. But, uh, but under Putin, it's become completely dysfunctional. So you basically, you know, it's, it's the degree of incompetence and, uh, and dysfunctionality that is just almost, um, it's it, not almost, it's unbelievable. So it's total collapse. And of course, it's massive fall on his bottom face for Putin, but uh, who probably doesn't even realize the, the extent to which he has become, um, um, you know, uh, he's being reviled in the, in the West because, but, um, but Russia is kind of, yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, that's sort of like the, I, I don't know what else to say when it, when it just, you know, um, does it make you, let's say, more concerned for your safety or other people's safety? Or are you looking at these people who are running after Navalny for four years and keep trying to kill him unsuccessfully and they keep failing? I mean, it's almost Pink Panther on some level. Well, we, <laughs> who are we to be concerned about our safety? We're, neither you or I are like, exactly like Trotsky or Navalny or... But, uh, but that, that uh, is a very common excuse, by the way, in Russia. Like, who am I? I'm nobody. Yes, that's true. There is a well, higher level of people. Maybe they should be they concerned. The point, when they get to the point of poisoning people in, in, uh, in Wisconsin and Montreal, that means... <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's a stretch at this point it's <laughs> it will take massive quantities of novichok poison but uh, uh it's like industrial strength like kind of vats of, of all right but but there is a pre you know there are powerful bureaucrats in the russian system that are making their government go and they could be now more concerned perhaps but that's not for us to worry about either um i don't know it, russia 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 having facing the fact that it has basically no future, uh, to put it very bluntly, is isolating itself from the world, uh, which will hasten its disintegration from within. Uh, but it's not a pretty sight and it's not gonna be easy for anyone. It's a country with a, in a terrible demographic situation, a terrible economic situation with largely cynical and angry population, but also apathetic, angrily apathetic population. And so uh, by and large, so um, I don't, it, it, it clearly doesn't know what to, what path to take, where to go, who to align itself with, um, what, uh, what future it can stake for itself, um, because it doesn't seem to have a viable future, quite frankly, because the world is moving past, uh, you know, petro economy, uh, the world is moving, when John McCain called Russia, like you know, a gas station, right? Uh, but the world doesn't need any more uh, like giant gas stations anymore and the world is moving beyond uh, yeah but regular gas stations don't have nuclear weapons or teams of assassins yeah and but but we well we, we've seen how ruthlessly efficient this team of assassins has been following one guy for three and a half years and then failing to to poison him actually and then uh uh or, or how they, how efficient they are trying to poison someone in uh, Salisbury in uh, in the UK and uh, killing an innocent woman 
know. But it sounds very medieval and very inefficient. It's like you don't run economy this way. It's it's very well. No, people talk about Putin as having like a hand on hands on control, uh, but manual control. This is what that is. How can you build an economy like that? It doesn't function. Putin clearly loves poisons. He clearly loves the Medici's and Macbeth and all of that stuff. He clearly has that mindset. Uh, He loves that. Um, so that's his little quirk. He likes poisons. He likes poisoning people with uh, unbelievably potent, you know, and um, the world will condemn him for it. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, you have, a, you have a dying former superpower that is, it's by all by all definitions of of, uh, of agony, it's an agony uh, when a state is expanding its resources on trying to poison an opposition leader and failing to do so. But lack. But I just don't. I just want to be clear because I, I don't think necessarily word agony means that something is going to end soon, because agony can take a very long time. Well, but we know that our the that our lifetime, uh, our timeline does not coincide with history's timeline at all. Uh, so what's a lifetime for us is not a second for history. So it'll take another 10, 15, 20 years, but it'll, that's where Russia is headed in this, uh, at this moment. It's, it's headed in the, um, in the direction of uh, being sort of like uh, futureless. Uh, and already there are regions it's, it's, it's huge, right? So uh, there are many time zones away. There is Khabarovsk, which is the city that basically has seen um, uh, protests, uh, nonstop protests for months now, but it's too far away from Moscow to, to make any signal. And it doesn't radiate enough of a wave uh, to, to sort of like reach other regions of Russia. But these local points of, um, of protest will continue to multiply and sooner or later it will lead to the breakup of certain parts of Russia it's just too humongous for its own good landmass wise and so uh, uh, it uh, it doesn't have a viable economy it doesn't have a place in a future integrated world economy uh, really and uh, it's lost 20 years of great possibility remember how possible the world was for Russia just 20 years ago, how warmly welcome Putin was, not by everyone, because there are people, there were people. But wouldn't the same apply then to Russia that might apply to the United States if a new ruler comes in, in this case, new President Biden, and the rest of the world's going to be like you just said, well, we can't quite understand this, but it's your business. So just try to follow laws better next time. Um, and now, you know, wouldn't we say the same to Russia and then welcome them back with open arms for somebody after Putin? Yeah, well, after Putin is the key point here. There is no after Putin. Uh, America reinvents and reimagines itself and, and corrects its course every four to eight years, every four years. Russia doesn't. And that's the point. Now imagine that if someone like Trump just basically occupied the White House for 20 years. Where do you think the United States would have been? Um, so, and that's the situation in uh, in uh, in Russia, except that Putin is in many ways worse than Trump, obviously. Uh, 
because unlike Trump, he kind of knows what he wants. Um, and so, yeah, America, America has a self-correcting mechanism built in. Uh, Russia doesn't. Mikhail Yosef, writer, professor at Concordia University, Montreal, Canada. Thank you so much for being once again guest pleasure. on the Ashkin Report. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.